Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. studio and lounge for the keeping it at 1000 podcast presented by DraftKings sportsbook america's top rated sportsbook app use promo code dnvr when you sign up including tonight if you want to bet on friday night preseason games you can uh, you can go ahead and bet there's already a nuggets line out um i don't even know dev do you know are we are the nuggets favored tonight or underdogs they gotta be favored i imagine Dev. They, they might be. It's preseason. Why are they an underdog? Uh, preseason. What can Minnesota. you? Minnesota. <laughs> Come on. Favored by three. There you go. Uh, coach seems to like that line. Well, <laughs> so take the nuggets preseason. Never win. Well, that's true. The preseason. Um, fourth quarter and it's over. Yeah, that's true. You got to get other guys in there. You got to find uh, out if Peter Cornelie uh, gives you that's anything. That's your philosophy. That's not my philosophy. Well, we're going to get into your philosophy for preseason, for training camp, because that's what's going on right now. Teams are, um, you know, they've been together for a couple weeks. Uh, philosophies are being put in place. Rotations are being solidified, all that stuff. And I want to get coach's perspective on that. But the meat of today's story is going to be talking about ideal roles for the players. And how does a coach establish ideal role? Maybe a coach doesn't. Maybe a team collectively establishes what players' roles are going to be. I want to talk about all of that, hopefully peer behind the curtain a little bit and, and see what it's like uh, for a team behind the scenes. Um, but first, coach, it's good to see you. It's been a while been a long while since we've last talked how i know you last time we talked you said our august september that's your off season you like to disconnect from basketball so we disconnected from our show but we're back how are you feeling i'm feeling great i've been in the gym i've uh, i went back to north carolina for our golf thing that we do back in Pinehurst, north carolina with all the north carolina coaches that was fantastic and i went to charlotte training camp I'm probably going to go to my son's training camp. Uh, he was hired by the 76ers right. to be a G League coach. What's their team? What's their G League team there? Do you know what it's called? Uh, Blue Hen. Blue, the what? Blue Hen or Blue? I thought it was like Blue Coats or something. Maybe I'm wrong. It might I be Blue remember. Coats. I don't know. I it's in remember. Wilmington, North, uh, Delaware. Yeah. And uh, Wilmington, yeah. Wilmington, Delaware. That's where it's at, huh? That's home and, to Bones Island. And so, you know, it's fun being back in the gym. I'm talking to a lot of coaches. Um uh, you know, you know, we. I was playing golf with three, two other coaches, and uh, today, and the subject was Ben Simmons. Why did the Nuggets <laughs> not go after Ben Simmons? And I said, I didn't think about it very much, but mix. I think he fits Jokic and Murray. Well, let's get into that. So you, Jokic and Murray fit very well together. I mean, that's well established. Ben Simmons, his number one trade, in my opinion, is defense. He's a great defensive player, team defender, and on-ball defender. You, I said that you didn't nod along. So that's not you don't think defense is best. He's got a lot of skills, but no, I think uh, I think he's a a balanced player without a jump shot. Right. And uh, you know there are a lot of players that have gone from being average or below average jump shooters to halfway good jump shooters. So I think that'll come. I don't know why he hasn't figured it out yet. You know, I I don't know that answer, but. I love his passing. I love his he, his length is unbelievably long. Um, and I can, you know I think what you're trying to do when you make that type of trade is does he fit with your stars? And right, I think he fits with their stars. Where does he fit? Um, where does he fit with them as a power forward? Well, I think we've all argued that Murray, when he is offensively into the game, plays really well. It's kind of when he tries to figure out his role as a point guard out there, that sometimes he looks like he's lost a little bit. 
So Ben Simmons, when he's in the game, I would say the majority of the time, let Murray be a scorer. And then that 20-minute window that Simmons is sitting, Murray becomes the point guard. Right, right, right. And yeah, I mean, I'm not, I love Monte Morris. I love some of their young players. But, you know, after thinking about it on the golf course today, I just said to myself, (laughs) you know, Ben Simmons actually looks pretty good. Now, what about, you know. Because I I hear he's going to be traded to Indiana for basically nothing. That's that's what you're hearing. It's Indiana for a cheap deal. A cheap deal, Levert, Brogdon, and one. Wow! Look at the, look. At the, we might have some breaking news here, or at least some uh, s- some good rumors, sourced rumors coming in here. Um, I it does seem like the the price is not very high, and what you're talking about are players that are good. But Denver has players that are good like that that you can keep a core intact. The problem, coach, and we I want to keep talking about this because maybe who knows maybe it pops up again. The problem is my understanding is the Nuggets could not trade anybody other than two players basically to make this work. Nikola Jokic, Jamal Murray, just because of the way the the CBA works and the, and the legality of it. So I know your plan here is to pair Simmons with those two. And, you know, Michael Porter has that poison pill contract. He just signed one, so he can't be traded. You got Aaron Gordon. So I don't know. Um, but it is interesting that you feel so strongly that that's a, a championship three or, or a three that makes more sense than whatever they have now. <sighs> I'm I'm a little frustrated with, I don't know, I think, you know, the Broncos, everybody thinks they're going to turn around and become a championship team. I don't think the Broncos are even close. And the Nuggets have had a good run in the bubble, which I don't value as much (laughs) as I think the fans of Denver value. Right. That year should be, in a lot of ways, thrown away. But you guys are hanging on to it like it's a gift. I mean, we're there. We're we're going to be great. Eh, I don't think the league feels that way. Okay. They, they still think Denver has to arrive. And you get you put Ben Simmons in this lineup. I think it's a, a scary lineup. It goes from the group of guys in the Western Conference. You know where where Denver fits is Denver in the top three? Is Denver in the middle three? Or is Denver in the last three? Uh, you know, there's some really good teams looking at Utah. Top three, middle three, bottom three. Clippers, top three, middle three, bottom three. Um, Dallas Mavericks, top three. Yeah, there's, yeah. I mean, you got a list of five or six teams that I think everybody thinks could be really, really good. Yeah. But it's summer talk right now. <laughs> and It's your favorite. And the whole thing comes out is... Denver's missing their second best player, their point guard, and Malone does a great job of figuring out how to make it work. But I think he's been given that assignment too much. I would like to probably see more consistent roles, more consistent responsibilities uh, than they have over the last two or three years. Yeah. Um, So... Let's if if Simmons was here and Murray was here and, and Jokic was here. Let's say this happens maybe later in the season. How, what ideal pieces go around those guys? I'm not asking specific players, but what types of, of pieces fit around them? Well, I think I think you're going to overreact because you're going to play Ben Simmons, who can't make a three right now. So you're going to overreact. So you know you need shooters. Well, you know I still think scoring at the rim at the free throw line and at the basket and having a, a flow mentality to help each other with getting shots is the way to play basketball. Ben Simmons plays that way. Jokic plays that way. We're not even talking about their guard play. Mm. Uh, so I think when Murray comes back, he'd fit into that nucleus very quickly and very strongly. And then, you know, you got to fill your team in with good shooters. But every, every NBA team is always right, right, looking right. for shooters. And do you have to give up Porter Jr. or Gordon or Monte Morris or P.J. Dozier? Or, I, you know, you have too many players. You have too many players for a eight and eight to nine-man rotation. That's my comfort zone. I think most NBA coaches have that comfort zone. Malone at home doesn't mind going to nine or ten and sometimes actually eleven. On the road, he's more like an eight or nine guy. Uh, 
And I, I don't even, you know, I mean, I, the coaching staff obviously knows the answers to these questions better than I do. But, I mean, I didn't even think about it when Ben Simmons stuff has happened for the last couple of weeks. I didn't think about it in Denver, but today on the golf course, it was discussed. <laughs> this is my last one for you on the subject, because I didn't think we were going to talk Ben Simmons today. You know, that to me, that conversation kind of came and went. Maybe it has, but what about character concerns? And I don't know Ben Simmons. I don't know anything about him. But it seems like Denver has been especially uh, – they, they've really – put a, lot, a heavy influence on culture and hey we want only guys that are going to fit in and buy into the roles and this or that do you are you concerned at all just seeing how things have shaken out in philadelphia about that with ben simmons or he's too good don't worry about that stuff i think he falls into the category that up until you know what two months ago did we have character concerns about ben simmons I don't know. I really don't know that. I don't know either. I don't know that. I mean, what, what's in the Twitter world and on social networking and on the internet, you know, it might have 50, 60% of the truth out there, but in management's got to figure out the other percent. Right. Ben Simmons to me is, I've never seen him dogging on the court. I've seen him frustrated on the court, but I've seen him be the best player on a lot of NBA courts. Uh, and a guy that has the talent to be the best player on NBA court on a consistent basis is probably going to be able to give, you're going to give him a little bit, you know, unless he's just a total j jack, jack butt. Uh, <laughs> but jackass. I, I don't, I don't, even, I don't see that in him. Yeah. I think he's frustrated with what happened in Philly. Okay. I, I think he's frustrated with Embiid. Again, this is my feel. Right. It's not, not, not fact. Right. Um, and I think he's a little frustrated with the anger that that he was punched with in the playoffs last year. He didn't feel he was protected very right. well. Oh, a hundred percent. There's no question about that. And and so, you know that will that will that heal in Philadelphia? No, uh, <laughs> no. I don't think it will. So no. So you know, hey, uh, I think you're taking an all-star basketball player, a very young all-star basketball player that will shoot the ball better than he is shooting it. And he's 6'10". Yeah. Hey, I was with it. I've been on the Ben Simmons train for a while. I just think that train has uh, left the station, unfortunately. But maybe not. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, let's get into some training camp stuff here. Um, I'm curious, just from a head coach, you know what, what would your goals be for the Nuggets heading into this camp? And how, as a coach, do you establish what your goals are to accomplish during training camp? Uh, usually training camp has priorities. It's, a, it's a, a film study of who you are, what guys you've picked up. And some of it are, are, you know, as a coach, you try to magnify strengths and hide weaknesses and work on weaknesses to be better than they were last year. And your coaching staff might have, you know, certain coaches might have three, three different thoughts and another coach might have three other thoughts. But you got to come together in your coaches meeting before the training camp and kind of organize what you want to bring to the team as, hey, we felt we have to get better here. This was our strength. We want to sustain that and get it better a little bit. And then I hate the word role as much as delegate responsibility. Okay. Um, I, and I really like the veteran guy coming off the bench, leading the bench. And kind of have your be your best players being responsible for the starters. And so, you know, do you want to go, you know, Monte Morris, is he going to be your starting point guard? Talk to him about that. What's he going to get? What you feel that you need from him? And, you know, before, in the beginning of a season, you kind of have little games of giving them some goals, some individual goals, like Monte Morris's great assist to turnover ratio is really good. But I would rather see Monte Morris get more assists and be more committed to being a passer or creating more plays for the team. For me, he's a little conservative, I guess is my best way to say it. And because of that, he doesn't turn the ball over. But I'm not anti-turnover. I remember talking to Andre Miller about this. I said, Andre, if you throw 10 passes over the top of the defense and get me seven layups, you can throw two away. That's fine with me. Right, right. You give me seven layups, you can turn it over once or twice. 
It's, it's what you get, get in a give and take of the, the passing mentality. So Jokic, I'm, I want to ask you about him. We'll kind of get into the players here. But Jokic, you know, became a father just, I think, last week. It hasn't been that long. He missed all of training camp. He's a veteran at this point. He's seven years into this league. But he's also the hub of, of the team. How big of a deal do you think it is that he was not present for training camp? How hard do you think that made it for the Nuggets to accomplish their goals when the, the hub isn't there? Uh, I mean, it's not the... The, it's not the most positive situation, but in the same sense, I think that, you know, we've already talked about two or three things about old school versus new school mentality. You know, the new school mentality is you're going to skip when your wife's having the baby, you're going to take four or five, six, seven, maybe a week or two off. You know, 30 years ago, that didn't happen. Really? No. I mean, Wife's having a kid, you're playing, yeah, you're at practice. <laughs> I think there are guys in, in, in the NBA that had had birth of children when they were probably playing in the basketball game. Wow, that's wild. Uh, and don't get me wrong, I, the right way is probably today's way. You know, we just talked about the, you know, Ben Simmons, old school, new school, you know. Old school, there would be a lot more anger about Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons mm. now is he's a new school guy, and he's he's piggybacking off of Kyrie Irving and right. piggybacking off of Westbrook. Oh, it's normalized now. It's, I mean, yeah, yeah, it's normalized now. A management in Chicago might react totally different than management in Denver. Mm. The management in Denver is going to work react totally different than Miami's going to react, and Ben Simmons might not even be on the radar, and and maybe 15 or 20 cities. Right. But he is on the radar of being a really, really good basketball player. So what about the thing I'm most curious about, because Yoke was asked about this, how much it would hurt him. He said, I know all the plays, which I thought was kind of a funny answer. But what about his chemistry with Aaron Gordon and to a lesser extent, Jeff Green? I thought training camp would be a great opportunity for those guys to maybe even you add a little bit in the playbook that utilizes those two guys or just quick little actions. How much do you think that maybe stunts the growth between those two developing chemistry? Well, I think the shorter training camp and the mentality of training camp of no more two a days, a lot more days off. I mean, my first training camp, I, I, I don't want to throw the. I mean, we had 28 days, 26 were two a days. <laughs> wow. I mean, think about that. <laughs> and I don't even know if we ever got a day off. Uh, but... Where guys, let me ask you this. But though, that's old school, new school. Okay, but let me ask you about the old school. Were guys weight training at that time as well? No. I mean, training camp was necessary because not half your team, but some guys on your team weren't in shape. Right, right. And That's why two-a-days, some of this is just conditioning. Yes, that doesn't happen very much anymore. But I bet you there's some NBA sure. camps that got guys... Yeah, we gotta get him in better shape right now. So this actually, so when you walk into camp in your your time, we'll say with the Nuggets, you name names if you want, or you don't have to. But were there days, all right, you get into training camp first day, and you're like, that guy's way out of shape. You just notice it right away. This guy's didn't come ready. Um, yeah, you have guys, but not very many of them. Yeah. Uh, you know, Gary Payton when he come into training camp, very much in shape. Really? But Gary Payton could get in shape in five days. Right. Some guys are that way. I mean, yeah. there's some athletes out yeah. there that don't need a lot of work. Yeah. They just, it just happens. But there are other guys that might need extra work. So I don't think it's a high, high priority or situation that happens very often now. But I, I'm sure there's still some out there. And Mike, going back to my college days, I had a guy that I had to do a regiment for like two months to get into shape for our, we had a test, you know, before, and the test was so hard. And we had one guy, a super athlete, he didn't do any of that. He'd show up at camp, do the test, almost pass out, but he, he could do it. And then he was good right. to go for the year. And I thought, man, this guy's crazy. Yeah, I did uh, a two mile run. And if you did the two mile run, you had to do the two mile run in, in 15 minutes. Yeah. That's easy. Yeah, it's not that hard of a one. But if you did it in 12, you never ran sit. You never you didn't have to run sprints. <laughs> okay. And there was only one guy that ever did it in 12 minutes. Really? Deadless shrimp. Really? Yeah. He's the only guy. <laughs> That's pretty interesting. Uh, how do you challenge Jokic to get better? And he's the MVP. So what, as a coach, he's only 26. But as a coach, how do you push the great ones? You know, coming off of the season he just had, what, what's the approach there? 
That's a hard one because he's so good. And he plays the game so easily. Uh, I think I would give him one or two defensive things mm. of, of importance. Uh, can he be more of a shot blocker? Can he be, have more presence at the defensive end of the court? Uh, the other end of the court, there's not much he doesn't do offensively. Right. I mean, uh, I, I think he's a high, he touches the ball a lot. You want him to touch the ball more? I would, Personally, I'd probably say no. I want more team, the power of five guys playing together than one guy being responsible for right. too much. Right. So I think you got Jeff Green's a good pickup. They got some good, you know, they brought back Barton, who had an up and down year last year. Uh, they don't have their point guard. So who's going to play point guard? Are you going to play Monte with the first unit or do you want to keep him with the second unit? Um, you know, Austin Rivers had a good run at the end of last year. Gordon had a good start, but he kind of faded last year. So, you know, all those things, I think, got to have some type of, you got to massage some of that into trying to maybe get Gordon more confident in his offense. Uh, and Jeff Green, I thought, had a great year with the Nets last year. I think he's going to be a good backup center. I think that's where they're going to right, use him. Yeah. It's weird to say, but yeah. Um, and I think that pick and pop four, five man is really prominent. And Jeff knows how to do it. He's a, a professional. He's a great locker room guy. And he has great enthusiasm to try to be on a really good team that's trying to win a championship. But I want to stick to Jokic for just one more question here. And that is, you know, we've seen teams bring in veteran players, retired players to maybe work with a guy for a week or coaches to come in. I always wondered, I always would have loved, and I don't know if the relationship is there to make this happen. I always would have loved for Tim Duncan to come into camp and spend two or three days with Jokic. Another guy who was an elite defender, but not necessarily because he was above the rim all the time. He's just a really, really smart defender. Is there a guy you would want to bring in? a Mark Gasol or somebody like that. And how does a coach go about trying to bring somebody in specifically for a player? Uh, I think that's somewhat overrated. Okay. Uh, I want a coach that knows how to get results. Okay. I've seen some of these star hall of fame players do their act and it's elementary in a lot of ways. It's basic. It's what they do. Well, as we're, I mean, I would never turn down Tim Duncan to come in to help Jokic. So that's right. a kind of a perfect fit. They're both fundamental players. Uh, but, you know, Duncan was the best transition D and pick and roll defender I've ever seen play in the NBA. And he was almost perfect. I mean, his transition D as a big guy was great. And that, that's so important that to be able to go to the offensive board and still get back defensively. A lot of big guys don't want to work at that. Tim Duncan it's hard did. Work. And pick and roll defense, the game, you know, Tim Duncan, as the, as the game has gotten more and more pick and roll, Tim Duncan got better and better <laughs> at defending the pick and roll. And that's why they, you know, and David Robinson was pretty damn good too. Uh, and so I think that's why you probably see them win championships. We can move on to Michael Porter here. Um you know, he got a max contract. He just signed it with the Nuggets. How do you think that will impact him this year? Maybe in ways positive or negative. Maybe it's a weight off his shoulders, but just how do you think that might impact him? Well, what does history say? What does what? What does history say? I could go either way, I think, on this one. I think what you're getting mm -hmm. at is a lot of times guys get paid and it's like, I don't have to listen as hard anymore or as closely. Well, as coaches, we think history says it usually... I'm not saying it's going to drop, but I says it might plateau. Okay. Uh, and he's a young player that doesn't want to throw a year away. I think he's still a young player that can get better, can learn. Uh, I liked him last year. Did I love him last year? I probably didn't love him, but I liked him last year. And this is a year I think he comes back and he wins more fans. And the fans that I want him to win are players. Players not only on his team, but also players in the NBA that give him more respect. Mm. Uh, the value of being, I mean, pl players know that Porter Jr. is really good, really talented, but they don't 
look at him as a guy that's going to turn the corner on winning. Mm. Uh, he's a, as a, I used to have a coach that he's a, you know, a lot. Porter Jr. is a fantasy guy. He like, he's, he's, he, got, he gets good numbers. Yeah, fantasy numbers are great. He gets good numbers. But does he do the little things that win games for you? And can he do those little things all the time rather than some of the time? So what do you think his role should be this year? If you were a coach and you're meeting with him talking about roles, what would you what would you try to tell him? Well, I think the first thing on that list would be I would talk to him about shot selection because I, I think he is in the mode that he should be given more shots. But I don't want more bad shots. I want more good shots. Right. Um, I think he's got to be your leader in making threes, which is good because he, he's damn good at it. He seems like he fades as the game goes on. He scores more early than he does late. I would probably talk to him about that. Can we get you to be more efficient in the fourth quarter rather than be dynamic in the first quarter? Do you think that's a age thing, though? Yeah. It's a young, it's a young player ego. I mean, Nene bringing up a guy that it would drive me crazy. Yeah. Because Nene would get 15 or 18 points in the first half. And wouldn't even try to score in the second half. I wonder if it's also a conditioning thing. And one of the things I like, you know, Michael Porter worked out with Steph Curry over the summer. Those guys have a relationship that go back. And he said what they worked on was shooting after conditioning because it was all about who can make shots when you're the most tired. So he said that's the thing he took away from it. I just thought that was so interesting. And it made me wonder if maybe that's part of young players are still learning. Their bodies are getting stronger, but they're also still learning the level of conditioning it takes to be great. No, I, I I would actually have met on Michael Porter Jr.'s body. I would like to see his center of gravity get lower. Mm. I would like to see his balance get better. I would like to see his his physical holding his ground be stronger and more 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 physical. You know, he plays a little upright and a little finesse. And I think uh, the more dirty he could get, the stronger he could get in some physical areas. I think would be valuable. I'm not sure, you know, shooters can make shots when they're tired. Great shooters make shots. They, 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 they have a mental adjustment. But I think Michael Porter Jr. having a little bit in the back of his mind that he needs to be in great shape is something would be, I would like that. I think he's a worker because you never know this instead of you're right. around the guy all the time, but I think he's a worker and has an internal drive. I know that. So in addition to working on con- the conditioning aspect of shooting and, and, and shooting while w- even when you're tired, the other two things he said he worked on was one, a mid post game. Cause he said in the playoffs, he got guys matched up against him that were a little smaller, <laughs> but he, he didn't have the ability to kind of shoot over or score over him. He referenced even Carmelo Anthony as a guy that was really good at, you get a guy on a hip and make some moves. And then he also talked about sort of like escape dribbles or like moves that can create a space with one dribble or two dribble quick things to get open so he can get his shot off. Is that a good use of his summer just, just based on that? Um, okay. <laughs> I, would, I would say attacking the rim would be something that I would put there more. I'd like to see him become a guy that, when there's an open lane to the basket, he goes all the time. Right. And then also being a little bit more playmaking to be able to understand that when the big guy comes to him, it's not about scoring. It's not about drawing fouls. It's good about making the next guy better. Um, I would put playmaking on that list in my mind, the attacking of catching and going rather than always looking for being a jump shooter. Right. Um, I'll give you one more, Michael Malone. The the mid post. Yeah. Sounds like a a workout guy. Okay. Or his father. I see. So you're saying a trainer loves that stuff because it's footwork. It's a ballet. It's it's and the step back stuff, the escape dribble stuff. Remember, only the great players get to shoot that shot. Right. Right. And is Porter a great player? He can be a great player, but I don't know if he's a great player yet. And it's interesting. It's just funny to think of him going up against Norman Powell last year, Mikhail Bridges, guys that he had a little bit of a height advantage, not much, but that maybe were able to crowd his space and he but would get those a, posts. It's a bad, it's a bad offense. It's oh, a, of course, if you're going there all the time. It's a low efficient offense. Oh, of course, so yeah. I'm trying to figure out. You want him the high efficiency is making threes, getting to the rim, getting to the free throw line. 
and now we're going to five or six or seven on the list. <laughs> I would say let's stay in the top three or four. So Michael Malone uh, talked about one of the things he really wants from Porter this year is to get to the corners in transition. I don't think it not attacking the basket or this or that, but just on break, secure the rebound, get to the corner as quick as possible because he's such a great shooter from the corners and because especially in transition that, that mm -hmm. really stretches the defense. What about that for a point of emphasis and what, what, what does that do for your team? Yeah, I mean, running the court right now in the NBA is a lost art. And everybody's trying to play fast, but no one really plays fast. They play with pace. And Michael Porter Jr. running the corners, he should realize that the guys who make, there are more mistakes made defensively in transition defense than right. five on five defense. Right, right. So when you run and get ahead of the ball, they make mistakes. They give you open shots, they give you dunks, they give you layups. They mistake a pickup. And uh, I think the game is easier played fast. I don't think Denver plays, I would like to see Denver play faster. Right. Uh, but do they have the, I mean, when your best player is sometimes your trail big, you want him to be in your offense 90, you know, as much as you possibly can. Yeah, we'll hit this first break, actually, here on the other side. I do want to get to Aaron Gordon. I want to get to Will Barton. I want to talk about all these other guys and how you would talk to them about their role, how you would help establish that, and all of those things. But, you guys, we are presented, as I said, by DraftKings Sportsbook, the official betting partner of the NFL, and they've got a Week 5 offer every football fan wants to jump on. New customers, this has been the offer for a couple weeks, guys, but it's a no-brainer. New customers uh, can bet just $1 on any, any NFL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a single point. So the only way you don't win this one is if both teams go 0-0 into overtime, still finish 0-0, then you'll lose your bet. All other scenarios, you're going going to win the last time that happened by the way a team tied 0-0 was 1943 so pretty safe bet here again one dollar you win a hundred dollars um DraftKings customers can also get skin in the game with the new same game parlays we've been begging for this all last year we complained about it you couldn't do the same game parlay now we've got them same game parlays right there on the app DraftKings is safe secure and reliable best of all you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want so download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now use promo code DNBR and bet just one dollar on any NFL game and win a hundred dollars and free bets if either team scores a single point. Must be 21 or over. Colorado only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. And if you have a gambling problem, call the number right there on the bottom of your screen. 1-800-522-4700. What's the number one sportsbook? DraftKings. What's number two? I don't know. Doesn't matter. We don't talk about them on this show. <laughs> Doesn't matter who they are. Um, so let's get back into here to, to training camp. Jokic. I think easy one. Michael Porter, even to a certain extent, is an easy one. Now you get into Aaron Gordon, who joined the team late last year, you know, at the deadline, had to fit in, just fit in on the fly. And I think he did a nice job in the regular season of that. Um, first of all, I wanted to ask you, he's a player that came from a losing situation for five, six years. And then he joins this one. I think he's happy to be here. I mean, all by every interview I've ever had with him, he reiterates that he's happy. He signed the extension. He wanted to be here. He loves the vibe. He loves the culture. It just loves that the games matter. And it made me think, what players did you have experience with that maybe had spent all or most of their career in a no hope situation? You know, what are we really fighting for? And then came over to your team and it was like, wow, it's fun being a contender. Well, those are all things you kind of talk about because sometimes picking up the best player on a great team doesn't make him a good player on your team. Mm. Because a bad team, they score 100 points every night. Right. So the numbers, someone's going to get numbers. I don't think Aaron Gordon falls in that category, but I think he does have to redefine who he is this season. Right. I don't think there's any panic there. But I think you want to give him a comfort zone of where he doesn't feel like he's got to search out offense. Try to figure out what gives him the best chance. I don't know what the number is, but 15 points seems good to me. Murray being hurt, it might be a little higher before Murray gets back. So um, who does he play well with? Is, right. is it Austin Rivers? Is it Monte Morris? The young kid who's playing well. TJ is a good young player. I, I think play. I would go out of my way 
McGordon would be probably number one on my list of getting comfortable. And that might take 30 games. I yeah. mean, it's not going to happen in 10 games. Right. And I don't know, coming out of timeouts for lobs, coming out of timeouts to where he gets a kind of a, an isolation that works for him, uh, rewarding his defense. Uh, little games to keep his, his focus and his concentration positive. And then, you know, I think he's got to be the leader of the defense in some ways. Take in the best player every night. I don't know if that's in Malone's philosophy, but I think I would say, hey, Aaron, you're your best asset coming in the league. I thought you would I thought he was the best defensive college player I've ever seen. Right. Bobby Jones is first on my list. Right. Aaron Gordon's back on. a lot. And he hasn't lost being a good defender, but his balance has been more towards I want to be better offensively. Well, let's let's go back and go. Let's let's magnify your strength, and let's work on your weaknesses. And I'll help you with your weaknesses, and get trying to get you good touches and good shots. But you also got to give me a, uh, maybe a better uh, um, an all defensive mentality, making all the de- first team all defense. I think would be something I would talk to him about. I thought he had that mentality last year. I didn't think he looked, the word you use is thirsty. I didn't think he looked thirsty for shots very often in the offense. I thought, so I thought he maybe embraced that role. But you said he guards the other team's best player. The best players are, are you talking three, four? I'm talking one through four. So you think he should take, if it's Damian Lillard, it is Portland, say, hey, everybody, we're cross-matching here. I got I got. I mean, again, it's a conversation. And I, I would, I would feel his reaction, mm. and then say, "Well, he probably doesn't want to buy this a hundred percent of the time, but can I get seventy percent of the time?" Gotcha. I think you feel it out, uh, but you tell him that we need this. I mean, we need to be a better defensive team, and you're my number one defender. Yeah. I just always the reason I asked you the question up front about him leaving a losing situation is I always wonder. You know, Denver continuity, there's so many positives to continuity, I think, uh, as a team. But one of the things I wonder is, do guys take it for granted? They've been here now for two, three years. Denver's been a playoff team. I mean, you kind of pencil them in as a playoff team. And I wonder if having guys that are like, hey, man, it's not always like this. I just spent five years where we were eliminated by February. And I wonder if that provided a little bit of excitement. Um, I even remember when Iverson came here. It was really early in the year, but leaving a team that was kind of over their, their cycle had kind of come and gone and you could just see how excited he was to kind of get injected with, Hey, we're back to being a team that matters and a team that's good. And if Gordon brings that same thing. Um, and Orlando was a team that was falling apart. Yep. Um, I know, you know, I know Evan Fournier on that team and yeah. Evan was so happy to get out of there. <laughs> and the, I mean, the one thing is you losing builds negative habits and sometimes builds negative attitude. And I didn't see that last year with Aaron Gordon. But, I mean, there's going to be a different pressure from, you know, right. starting the season. That's true. When Aaron got here last year, they were a playoff team. They were going to finish two, three, or four. Now, the challenge to finish one, two, three, or four, that's up, that's up for grabs right now. Right. I don't know. How, I haven't studied their schedule very much, but, I mean... I don't know what it's going to take to win the fourth seed or higher, but it's probably going to be in the mid fifties. Okay, uh, maybe maybe lower because there's so much competition. But I think he's got to realize that uh, that you want to get a home court advantage in the first round, and hopefully the second round. That's what you want. You know, in the NBA, in my mind, people a solid playoff team tries to build their foundation to where they, they're always going to win the first and second round. And then the next tier of, of winning the conference finals is the next challenge. And then, of course, the ultimate challenge is, is winning the finals. And all those, there's some steps. Have they definitively said that they're going to always win the first two rounds? I don't think that's true. They're close. I give them they're close. They haven't proven they can win the the conference, right? And and usually, I know fans want to skip it and say this can all be done in a year, right? Well, <laughs> that that climbing that ladder 
sometimes takes Milwaukee, what, four? Yeah, yeah. Four years? Yeah, and they broke through. I mean, and then you look at Toronto, who broke through a couple of years ago, and now they didn't make the playoffs. Right, right. So you want to build that foundation of whatever the window. With Jokic, you would want probably a five-year window that you would get into that second tier where you're going to be playing for a conference championship. You know, I, I couldn't say five, next five years, but right. if you got there... I would probably be happy with two or three. Right, right. If they got to the conference finals three times in the next five years. Just giving yourself a chance. It's like three lotto tickets. You know, we'll see what happens. And then this year, I thought was the number one situation that all the way into the final eight, maybe even the final four, no one knew who was going to win. Right. I mean, there wasn't a guy that jumped out. Yeah, I still like Denver's chances if Murray didn't go down, but I mean, of course, that's what happened. But let's move on because I want to get to the other players. What do you want to see from Will Barton this year? I don't know. Everybody's talking about him starting and all that. I I, I think he's a great bench player. I, I said that five years ago when he came here. I love his energy off the bench. I love his energy to be able to play him with a, a guy that could get him going. You know, a player that said, okay, you know, the first unit stinks tonight. Let's get Barton going. And he, and, and he has a power to offensively to lift the team. But Will Barton's not a bad defender and not a bad passer. Right. Probably I would, my conversation with him would be, hey, this is where I see you. This is the minutes I think. But then I would say, hey, I want more, I want more playmaking out of you. I want, instead of, I don't know what his turnover to assist ratio is, but I don't think it's probably much better than two to one. Hey, can we get that closer to three to one? Can we get your best assist year ever? Right. You know, right. You know, whatever your best year has been in the past, let's do, let's do better than that this year. And then, uh, you know, I'm, I'm almost certain that Coach Malone is working on defense. That, that Can we move from the middle of the pack to a top 10 defensive team this year? Right. Do you think they can do that, given their personnel? Uh, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. because Jeff you know, Green defensively, how is he? Well, I never thought of him being a, uh, a great defender when he was kind of playing 30 minutes a game. But lately, I've, I think he's more focused in that area. Okay. And, you know, I, if he plays center, he knows he's going to have to rebound right, the ball. Yeah. Um. I thought Jeff Green pickup was first class. I liked it a lot. So what's your, let's talk Jeff Green then real quick. I was going to go into Murray. We'll save him for next, but Jeff Green, what would be sort of your message to him and how, what roles do you see him playing on this team? You mentioned as a pick and pop big, he's been that as a five, cause he's kind of a five now. He's pick and roll big. He's still very athletic. And they, even in Brooklyn, they were having him roll to the rim a lot and be a lob threat, which I don't think most people would think no. of him that way. And I think that's great because I think, the guys that understand when to roll and when to pop, yeah, are are their their that list is not long in the NBA. Can I ask you what is it you're looking for? This is a good basketball question, but what is what is is it how the defense is committed? What def, you know coverage is in? It's the same rule that I have in making. I mean, if the if the game of basketball tells you you should go to the rim, you go to the rim. Okay. If That's the game always, of basketball yeah. says make the three, make the three. Same thing when you're in the pick and roll. If there if there's a chance for you to be a problem at the rim, you gotta go to the rim. Right. And when when they're they're zoned up or dropping, then you pick and pop. So do you see Jeff Green as a scorer for Denver primarily? Like what what's his role on this team? I just liked how I liked his presence last year. Okay. Uh, sometimes I you know I like I think you know that I think the bench is really valuable. And I think he's going to be a bench player that's going to lift their bench. That I think there's going to be more consistent responsibilities because of Jeff Green being on the basketball team. Oh, interesting. More guys will just it'll. It, so it's almost not a, not a glue, a connector maybe. Like makes everybody else's job more defined and and more obvious. More professional, more aware. Okay. And more understanding that the bench is very important to a championship team. Okay. How do you keep Jamal Murray engaged? I've heard that he's going to be helping with scouting reports and doing different things like that. I don't know if that was his own idea, if that was Coach Malone's idea, but I thought 
well, that's one way to make him feel a part of the team. Because I can imagine guys when they're rehabbing don't always feel a part of the team. Yeah. Well, one, I, I would keep him with the team. I'd travel him with us. I would not let him have those 10-day road trips where he stays in Denver. Mm. Um, yeah, there's all types of game playing. You can play. I'm sure. I, I don't. I'm pretty sure he's shooting now. Right. So you know, horse games. Uh, you know, three point shooting games. You know, keeping his eye sharp. Uh, but I think Jamal will do that on his own. I think he's he's individually inspired to get, get through this injury quickly. And his energy has always been positive. So, uh, but there will be days that coaches and assistant coaches could help him maybe have better days. What about Michael Malone? You know, he is now in his seventh season uh, with the Denver Nuggets. I think his ninth season overall as a head coach. How different is a head coach in their, we'll just say, so let's, let's throw out the Sacramento years. How different is a coach in his seventh year as opposed <clears throat> to his first? I think he's more consistently confident in in going into a game and and I think in coaching you know the game plan is important the foundation of how you're going to play in a game is important but you also got to realize that at least 50% of the time and probably more like 60% of the time that game plan has got to be adapted right it's got to be changed as the game goes on because of Who's playing well? Who's in foul trouble? You know, the flow of the game and where you're playing sometimes. And I think that's where he's gotten great. He's gotten to be one of the top coaches in the league because he he knows that if he can make almost any game a fourth quarter game, his team is in a great place. But in the same sense, he prepares his team to win a game by not having a close game. Uh, I don't know the numbers. I don't study the numbers like I used to. But I would like to see more control of maybe, I don't know how many fourth quarter close games they had last year, but let's just say they had 25. Can we get that down to 17 or 18? To where you don't have the stress. Is that possible? I mean, the NBA game, it just, this is I don't, a fact. I don't know. I mean, the numbers. Right. I mean, an average team in the NBA probably plays Fifty close games. Right, yeah, it's a lot. You know, yeah. as where I don't know what Denver's numbers were, mm. and I don't know what exactly the number that I think is a close game, and the stats might, yeah, yeah, sometimes might think different. like they might think a close game is three points. I think if it's I don't know, six has always been my number. I, if I have a more than a six point lead, I felt really good. It got under six, I got nervous. The NBA calls these clutch. I'm looking it up as you talk here because let me see here if I could find Denver. They actually say within five points in the final, you know, you know however many minutes. Oh, I, fe- I clicked on preseason. I'll pull these up and just – it says the Nuggets played, let's see, 20, 42 games, close, clutch games, meaning it was within five points in the final five minutes. So, yeah, about half, a little more than half is a shortened season last year. And don't get me wrong. You, you have a tendency when you have Yoki and Murray that – that having that in your back pocket is a because I thought Murray and Jokic at the end of last year was a top three, top five for sure, but maybe top three closers in the NBA. Mm, yeah, for sure. I mean, they were great at they get, get, got to that spot. You felt good that you were going to win. Um, do we have questions, Kale? I know we I put out there for some questions for Coach. Did you? Let's let's go to those now. Mm. What do we got here? Obvious question for Coach. What he thinks is the ceiling for Bones. Oh, yeah, we get to ask him a, a potential player here. I know it's your favorite. So I don't have you watched Bones Highland, the Nuggets rookie at all? Have you seen him play? So what is you you think his ceiling is? And what is the first and most important thing that Bones needs to work on? I love his ability to take the ball to the rim right now. Yeah. That's what I see more than anything else, his length. And not he has right now he doesn't have a fear of going in and playing against the big boys. Uh, his athleticism is impressive. His length is impressive. Uh, I don't know, is he a real point guard or is he a what, what we call that a combo? Combo guard. Right now, I th- I have a feeling it's more combo. 
Uh, I like to see him play make better. Uh, and his upside is get on the court. Can he get on the court? Right now, you know, I, I don't know. Can he get on the court? You know, is Austin Rivers in the rotation? Is T DJ in the rotation? Is Monte going to play 35 or 25? I, those are things that probably yet to be determined. But I would not, I would probably, my feel, and again, the practices are telling me more right, than right, the games are. Right. The games are the only thing I see and what I hear is some, some of it's true, some of it's false. So I think the games will tell. But to me, I think he's a guy that's got to stay focused, work hard, and somewhere be ready to get minutes that might come in the first 20 games. But my gut says it's probably going to come in the middle of the season somewhere. Okay. Because of an injury, because of a circumstance, there's going to be a window for a week or two weeks that, hey, I got 20 minutes for it. Get ready. Let's go. Be ready for that opportunity. Because you got a lot of competition for minutes. Right. The depth of uh, Denver's team right now is is first class. And I, I hope it... I hope the responsibilities are delegated in a positive way to where it doesn't become a problem. But I think, you know, over the years, I think sometimes the Nuggets roster has got in a tug of war that didn't help either player. Right. And uh, I, I hope they stay away from that. And I think more defined, consistent responsibilities is kind of what's in my head. What else we got, Kale? All right, what type of role do you see Bull Bull having? <laughs> Come on, guys. <laughs> People want to know about Bull Bull. Come no. on, guys. No. Let's hear it. He, is he a nightmare for a coach? Uh, I think it would be a nightmare if you had to play him right now. I think he's in a position that, similar to what I just said about the rookie, is there might become an opportunity because of injury or situations that 20 games or in the middle of the season, he might fall into a 15-minute opportunity. But I don't think he's ready to help a team win 55 games. Okay. Um, what else? We, let's go through these quickly. All right. We've got two more coming in. How often do other coaches ask Coach Carl for advice? Good question. You have a big network. Oh, I don't know if I have a big network, but I have a lot of coaches that when they come into town, I talk to. Uh, I said I was at Charlotte's camp visiting Mitch Kupchak and Chad Iskey. Uh, they're they're going to be better, by the way. Their additions are really first class. Uh, I like how they play. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I have, a, I don't know, half a dozen college coaches and probably 10 NBA coaches that when they come to Denver or every, I'll, I'll get a phone call from maybe once a month, once every couple of weeks, depending on winning and losing. And uh, I stay in the gym and I'm, all, I'm actually gravitating. I went up to Wyoming and watched them play. Wes Miller at Cincinnati wants me to come there. Uh, Mark Pope, my ex-player at BYU. So I probably will do some college, a little more college. Uh, John Welsh, my assistant uh, we're going to go up to Northern Colorado hopefully next week. We were at uh, we went to Davidson when we were in Charlotte together. So I try always to get in the gym and hang out. I love I love the game. <laughs> and what I love about the game is where is it going? What is going right. to be the next next impact defensive option? Right. Because the one thing we've talked about is you know, the, this theory over the summer was, does anybody play defense? Right. Because the defense right now is losing the battle. So what is the adjustment in, in the NBA that can make, make it a more defensive game? Uh, you know, my answer to that is I think the NBA in the near future, if they want to map balance the game out, they got to put the hands back on the ball. Really? I think they got to, they got to be able to slow down the guards and their ability to attack the defense. Yeah. Might change the game in a way the NBA doesn't like guys like you, a basketball purist will like it, you know, but I wonder if I think 
The NBA, for whatever reason, loves when Steph Curry scores 50 points. Well, I, I think the NBA last year in the playoffs let the perimeter play a little bit more, maybe a lot more than I thought they did hmm. in the year, years previous. I remember Austin Rivers getting called for a foul on Damian Lillard, right? I saw the replay in slow motion eight times. I didn't know where he touched him, so... Maybe oh, that's, that's bad refereeing. That's not, that's not no, it. they reviewed it and confirmed it. And I kept thinking like it, uh, a little. I just it, it was one of those plays where I watched it and I go, I don't know how you guard the NBA if if that's a, an illegal contact on a three point shooter. From and then half there, court. there are situations where they ride the guy and they right. do hand check and they don't call. Right, right. Uh, what else we got? One more kill. Yeah, last right, let's one. Get, let's get this last question in. Should preseason games be used solely as experiments with different lineups without regard to final score? Or would he, I'm assuming Malone, go with the presumptive starters and closers to give them more, some more time together? Well, I don't know how many games he played. If I'm Five. Up, I always played seven or eight. That's too many. <laughs> I always wanted to. I didn't want to have a bad record. I wanted to have a a three and four record or a four and three record establish but, it establish winning well yeah i think winning i don't i don't want to take winning off the court mm. uh the other thing i would do is i would play at least one and maybe two games where towards the end of exhibition season that i'm playing like it will be the first game of the year uh but that again again that's old school more than new school new school seems to be no veteran player ever plays in the fourth quarter. Uh, half the guys playing in the fourth quarter, I don't even know who they are. <laughs> and uh, that's, uh, that's again, new school, old school. We, we, get, we go there all the time. Well, coaches have gotten really interested in health and rest and those types of things in a way that definitely makes for some boring know, basketball. Do we know that is the way it should be, though? Should be. I mean, should is a, a I mean, resting players... Do you think they they got more energy than my guys used to have twenty years ago? I don't I don't know the answer to that. Do you think there are more injuries or less injuries yeah. than twenty years ago? Yeah. I don't think because of analytics and we have physiologists all over the place telling us this guy's tired. That doesn't mean they're right. So I kinda like anything that builds mental toughness and physical toughness. I want in my culture. Right. And giving days off and extending guys because they, you know, instead of it's a two to four week injury. Well, when was the last guy that had a two to four week injury came back in two weeks? Doesn't happen. It's always four weeks. So it's, I think we're giving, I don't know. I, I like mentally tough teams and physically tough teams. And sometimes load management doesn't develop mental toughness. Yeah. I'm with you on this one. Last year you were maybe a little more asking that question. It sounds like you've answered that question. Now you feel even more adamant about it. At least that, that's kind of what I gather. But I do think that's an interesting – I think there's a lot to that. And I think there's something too. Jokic played all those games and there's like a mental – strength you almost get from pushing through some of this stuff early on and and maybe it carries with you but that wraps it up guys for today's edition of the keep it at 1000 podcast i believe next week if i tease this out i believe uh we're gonna have somebody from the 90s era nuggets i know who it is i still want to tease. i'm gonna tease it like that somebody from the 90s era nuggets that was both a great player fan favorite and somebody you're gonna really want to hear from on our legend series that goes next week you also have the Truth in Media podcast. You got the Forgotten Seasons podcast over uh, things George Carl has been involved with. Anything coming up with Forgotten Seasons or Truth in Media this week? Uh, the one we're trying to get that I haven't gotten yet is uh, the Lakers when they had Gary Payton and Carmelo. I, I think I think that that experiment, whatever that was, twenty years ago, is kind of what they're doing now. Oh, a lot of just like bringing and bringing yeah. old guys in. See if they're good enough to win a championship. Oh, I can't in good faith endorse that one. I can't endorse anything Lakers. It's just me. I'm sorry. It's like I it would be asking you to promote a Duke podcast or something like that. You couldn't do it. I don't think I could get you to do it. Well, I might be going to a Duke game this year. Really? Yeah. I'm a, one of our, you know, Brett. Yeah. Brett's a Duke grad and one of my best friends. Wow. He, they, there's, there's a Duke Carolina game at Carolina on a Saturday and a Duke Virginia game on I'm uh, Duke versus Virginia on a Monday. So good little weekend two, right there. Two pretty good weekend. Good games. little weekend right there. Everybody, thanks so much. Hit the like button. Don't forget to subscribe. This is a podcast. Also goes in the Keeping It One Thousand podcast feed. 
See everybody next time. <laughs>